This Sunday, at last, we come to the end of the ten words that the Lord God gave to the Israelites through Moses. If you don't, weren't with us or don't remember, due to my illness a few weeks back, we ended up getting a little out of sequence in our consideration of these commandments. And as a result, today we close out our series not with the tenth word, which, by the way, was exceptionally dealt with by our council president, Carol Ryan, last week. Just love to offer a praise offering to her for that. I worried I had a job when I got back. <laughs> but we don't end with the tenth word today. We end with the ninth. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You know, it's been said that it's not so much God who reveals to us the Ten Commandments, but that the Ten Commandments reveal God to us. Together, over these last few weeks, we have reflected on more than just prescriptions for living. You and I have wrestled with descriptions as well, reflections of God's own character. We've spent these weeks of summer thoughtfully studying the law of God so as to learn how to live out of the grace of God. Beloved, in that spirit, I invite us for one last time, at least for now, to read these ten words together from our Bibles. And again, the words will be on the screen as well. Beloved, what are the Ten Commandments? Do you know them from memory? <laughs> because you may need to. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. What is the ninth commandment? You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this commandment mean? Jesus said, For out of the heart the mouth speaks. For by your words you will be acquitted. And by your words you will be condemned. We will speak truth with our neighbor in love avoiding falsehood, slander, and gossip, so as to make for peace and not devise in our hearts any evil against anyone. The first part of the law is this great commandment, that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, and with all our strength. The second part of the law flows out of our understanding of the first. We must love our neighbors as ourselves. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Life is about learning. There are many things which we must be taught in life. How to brush your teeth. How to read. How to wait for your mother's hand when you get to the curb. How to drive a car. But there's one thing that no one has to be taught. None of us have to be taught to lie. It's interesting, isn't it? If, in many ways, I think if you want tangible proof, if you ever get into a conversation, hopefully not a debate with someone, if you want tangible proof that our humanity is flawed, that we are not the way we ought to be, 
Consider how natural, how instinctive lying is to our nature. From our earliest beginnings as children, we have to be taught to tell the truth. Now, the original context of this commandment, of this ninth word, is actually more of a judicial context. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. This refers to a legal proceeding, lying under oath, what we call perjury. In our world, if you're subpoenaed to appear in court, you begin your testimony on the witness stand with your hand on a Bible, swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and not just part of the truth. So help you God. It's perhaps a sign of our times that even though perjury is illegal, it's a crime that carries with it a penalty. For many people in our day and age, lying under oath is not that big a deal. Our leaders seem to do it all the time, don't they? And I mean, no one gets convicted on the basis of another person's testimony that much anymore, right? I mean, we live in the age of CSI, don't we? We have police investigators, forensic scientists, DNA evidence, tape recordings, video surveillance, and countless other tools for determining a person's guilt or innocence in the face of a particular accusation. The ancient world of Moses and the Israelites differed greatly. After all, we have the means to investigate truth that the Israelites did not have. Back in the time of Moses, getting justice depended on the truthfulness of the accusing citizens. You gathered at the city gate and held court when something came up. And, and let's say that another person accused you of committing adultery with his wife or accused you of stealing from his flock. In many ancient cultures, one person alone would suffice as a witness against the one who was accused. One witness could be enough for the death sentence to be carried out. The need for truthfulness and yet the potential for abuse, the human tendency toward lying were so great that God's law here goes beyond the accepted standards of other cultures of that day. Numerous safeguards are built into the standard set by this ninth word. And all of these safeguards are recorded in the later chapters of Exodus and Deuteronomy. For example, in a case of a capital offense, no one, God prescribes, could be guilty on the testimony of one witness alone. Two or three witnesses had to testify against the accused. And because even two or three witnesses, by their testimony, could literally commit murder if they were lying, witnesses who testified also had to be the executioners if the accused was found guilty. Death was by stoning. And so the accusing ones were the ones to cast the first stone. Let's put Jesus' words later on in the New Testament in perspective, doesn't it? If a witness was not telling the truth and cast the first stone, the Bible goes on to record that that person would bring blood guilt upon themselves before God. They would be guilty of a crime 
not just against another human being, but against God. There were also prohibitions against joining others in a conspiracy of lying. If it was discovered that a witness or a group of witnesses made up, exaggerated, or distorted their testimony in order to do harm to another person, God prescribed that those persons, that person was subject to the same penalty that would have been inflicted upon the accuser. A person's life rested upon the accusation of his neighbor and the testimonies of others in the community. Therefore, it was no casual thing to lie or perjure oneself. Do you think we take lying under oath a little more seriously if our standards were that strict? But before we get too far afield, what we have here in the ninth word is far more than a judicial principle. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The emphasis at the end of that phrase on your neighbor stresses a broader application to lying beyond what happens at the ancient city gate or in the modern courtroom. Life is about relationships after all. And relationships, honest relationships, are built on telling the truth. Honest relationships are built on telling the truth. And yet, isn't it scary, my brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it daunting to just stop for a moment to realize how often we bend the truth in ordinary day-to-day -day speech? I mean, if a little deception might enable us to avoid losing something financially or socially, we lie. One thinks of Jacob deceiving his father Isaac in order to get the family inheritance by pretending to be his older brother Esau. I mean, you and I in our day-to-day -day lives, if arranging the facts selectively, if arranging the facts selectively gives us an edge in a given situation or helps us out of a jam, we lie. Maybe, maybe it's not a direct lie, but we allow others to believe something that we know is not true. One thing, can't help but think of Joseph's brothers. Joseph's brothers who were so envious and jealous of their brother that they, they sold him into slavery to get him out of their lives. Yet when they had to go back to their father, they brought back his coat dipped in sheep's blood to allow Jacob to come to the false conclusion that Joseph had been torn apart by wild animals rather than volunteering the information that, in fact, they had sold their sibling into slavery. In our day-to-day -day speech, in our everyday lives, probably later on today, we may find ourselves in a situation where paying an insincere compliment, a little kissing up, helps us to look better to someone else. And so, we lie. That haircut looks great on you. I really love that shirt. No, I don't have anything else going on. By all means, keep talking. <laughs> again and again, the books of Proverbs and Psalms condemn those who lie with flattering lips. For flattering is false friendship. Flattery is false friendship. It's relationship by manipulation. 
And I hope this isn't the case, but if you're like me and everybody else in this world, we may find ourselves sometime this week, maybe last week, we will find ourselves in our lives at many a time where we are presented with something that someone else heard. A rumor. Spreading a rumor, sharing a sliver of gossip. Well, I really shouldn't tell you this. Well, it's probably best if we keep this between us. Or inferring something by innuendo. Well, I'm not saying exactly what happened, but... If spreading a rumor, if sharing a little sliver of gossip, if inferring something by innuendo improves our social standing, if it makes us look like we're in the know, we lie. And the scary thing about slander, especially more and more in our age, our age of information and technology, the scary thing about slander is that in many ways, once it's out there, it becomes true, even when it isn't. And if you're still going, you know, I'm, uh, no, I'm a truthful person. I don't struggle with any of this. Surely, surely we all have engaged in a little bit of exaggeration now and then, haven't we? I caught a fish this big. <laughs> yeah, I work out. Yep. Like to walk on a regular basis. I walk out to get the newspaper and I walk right back into the house. And I gotta bend down too to get it. That's exercise. How easy it is to overpromise, to underdeliver. To make a sale, to get the vote, to woo the crowd. And yet as early as the 23rd chapter of Exodus, the Lord expands his call to tell the truth well beyond the provisions of this ninth word. Spreading false reports, telling idle tales, rumor mongering, deception, malicious talk are all specifically prohibited. Swearing falsely in the Lord's name, making a promise to God and not keeping it finding oneself in a crisis and promising to serve the Lord faithfully if only He will get us out of trouble. And I know I've prayed that prayer. It's called blasphemy. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes argues that it's better to not make a vow to keep your mouth shut than to make a vow to God and break it. Jesus put it this way. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. If we're not already feeling, wow, <laughs> overwhelmed, the other thing that's worth mentioning is that lying is an interesting thing because lying doesn't always require words either. Lying doesn't always involve speaking. Beloved, if we keep quiet when we know the truth, if we keep quiet when we know the truth just to stay out of trouble, just to stay off the radar, just to avoid a little conflict, the Bible is clear. This, too, is lying. Levit Leviticus, in fact, insists that keeping silent in the face of a lie is a crime against truth. 
So what we see in this little exercise of just stepping back and thinking about our ordinary speech, our everyday lives, is that contrary to what we often proclaim, and I've said it, I think you probably have too, because we learned to say it a long time ago, contrary to what we often say and think, there is no such thing as a little white lie. There is no such thing as a little white lie. When we lie to another person, we fracture our relationship with that person. Because that lie becomes a wedge driven between the honesty of our relationship. Even before or if our lie is discovered, the damage is done because trust has been broken. Trust has been broken because the core of our relationship shifts from being built on truth to maintaining the lie. It's not about whether we get found out or caught. Trust is broken because the core of our relationship shifts from being built on truth, honesty with each other, and now becomes predominated by maintaining the lie. And this is because lying, if you haven't ever discovered this, and, you know, and when you're a child, you learn this very quickly. Lying is terribly infectious. One falsehood usually necessitates another. We have to work really hard at burying the truth and maintaining the illusion. It takes a lot of energy to live behind our well-constructed masks, to pretend that we have it all together, to play, for some of us, the religious game, to go through all the right motions, to avoid letting people see that in fact, we are barely holding it together. Have you ever had that experience in your life where you get so caught up, lying is so pervasive in your life that you actually wake up one day and you have a hard time remembering what's true anymore? You wake up and you don't remember what's true anymore. You actually start to believe the lie. James reminds us of this state of affairs in his provocative assessment in his letter to the church, in his provocative assessment about the power of the tongue, when he writes that all of a sudden, the same mouth by which we praise God, the same mouth by which we bless God and others, becomes the same mouth, the same voice by which we injure, by which we reject, by which we destroy each other. There is no such thing as a little white lie. And beloved, there is no sin more precious to the enemy, to Satan, than the lie. Why? Because lying, if you've never thought about this, lying is the tinder of our rejection and our rebellion against God and ourselves. Because in, in a strange way, lying, if we really are honest, no pun intended about it, Lying is intimately connected with, uh, with love and with hope. We all, deep down, all of us, to some degree, we all desire to love and to be loved. We all, deep down, at some degree or another, all, we, all of us want to have hope. We want to have something to believe in. But love and hope are risky. Love and hope are risky because they require vulnerability. They require exposure. They require honesty. And telling the truth risks conflict. 
Telling the truth risks sacrifice. Telling the truth means maybe even facing death. The end of something in our lives. And so it is so easy for the sake of love, for the sake of hope to lie. We convince ourselves that if others know the truth about the way we really are, about what we've done, they won't love us and accept us. And so we lie. We become so convinced, we are terrified that, that if we don't lie, things will change. We'll lose control. And everything that we believed in won't be so meaningful. It won't be so special. We won't have any hope anymore. And so we lie. And the next thing you know, in the interests of self-protection, maybe even self-promotion, our truth-telling, our truth-telling with each other and with ourselves becomes limited to civility and politeness. We exchange pleasantries. We keep things surface level. We express superficial love. We share false hope. We do this so that we can maintain the status quo. Beloved, we do it in our relationships. We can do it in our marriages. We can do it with our children. We can do it in our families. We can do it in our communities. And we can do it as the church. And Satan loves the lie. For he is the master of lies. His power comes from no other place but manipulation and deception of perpetuating, of reinforcing the lie. And Satan loves the lie and he loves us when we want to stay in the lie because lying maintains the status quo. Lying keeps us where we are. Lying keeps us stagnant. Lying holds us in bondage. Lying brings us to church week after week, sitting in a pew and going out, but there's no change, no transformation, no relationship with Jesus in our lives. Lying makes us actually believe that all of this story, all of this stuff literally can be narrowed down to a ticket that we put in our pocket. That when we die, we're going to pull out and suddenly find pearly gates and golden streets. Satan loves the lie because the lie keeps us so focused on not jeopardizing the present that we're willing to deny our past and we're willing to ignore the future. Beloved, ask yourself, how often are you denying the past are you ignoring and not looking towards the future just for the sake of maintaining your image, your reality of what you want the present to be? A few years ago, an author named Scott Peck wrote a bestseller called People of the Lie. In that book, Peck argues that what most characterizes evil is the persistent and accumulative refusal of persons to face the truth about themselves. What he argues is that what we say publicly is not what we believe deep down inside. It is not how we live. Evil, evil, and that's a big word for us, a heavy word. Evil, he argues, results from each person's unwillingness to face up to their own flaws 
to face up to their own struggles. Evil results from each person's tendency to dodge their conscience. What Peck is arguing, and it's powerful and it's potent, is that lying leads to evil because all lying leads to scapegoating, to laying the blame on other people, to making our faults theirs, to, as Jesus said, failing to see the log in our own eye while we point to the speck in others, by daring to pick up the first stone and cast it. What we say publicly is not what we believe deep down inside. In the context of the church, I would suggest that one of the things that more and more is striking to me, and that's why the Ten Commandments, I think going through this together has been so provocative for many of us, is that despite the fact that we say that we are saved by grace, many of us don't really believe that we are creatures of sin. We say, oh yes, we're sinners and God's grace forgives us. But it's so easy and I find it so common amongst followers of Christ to say, yeah, I believe all that, but I'm a good person. But I'm a good person. And, and we don't like that idea of not saying we're a good person. We want to we say we're sinners, but we're good people too. And God doesn't give us that option. God doesn't say it's both and. God says you're completely helpless. I'm completely clueless. I'm broken. We've fallen and we can't get up. There's no room in that to say, but I'm a good person. And beloved, this is the starting point if we as Christians are not going to be people of the lie. Because as Christians, as followers of Christ, we are called to be people of the truth. And the challenge, I know for many of us, whether we're in the church or outside of it, part of the faith or not, is... When we live in a world of lies, the biggest challenge is discerning what the truth is. I mean, if we acknowledge that we're all broken, if we acknowledge that we're all sinners, if we acknowledge that we're all inclined to look after number one, then doesn't that buy into the argument of our day and age that all truth is subjective or relative? I mean, if I'm looking out for me, then basically when I start to talk about truth, aren't the postmoderns right that basically what's true for me may not be true for you? What's true? Or how about this? Can't we and don't we often tell the literal truth to each other and yet still cause intentional harm? Can't the truth be used as a weapon? You ever had someone say to you, hey, I'm just giving you the facts. I'm just keeping it real. And how many of us, when someone says to us, in a moment where we have fallen or struggled, when someone says to us, I told you so, why doesn't that expression ring true? Why does that not feel honest? In our day-to-day -day lives, we struggle with truth because many of us believe truth is about facts. But is truth just about facts? Or is truth also about intent? and motives. Beloved, being people of the truth through this ninth word of the law of God is not just about avoiding lying. 
Telling the truth is more than not deceiving or cheating people. It's more than refusing to gossip or to exaggerate or to flatter or to slander others. Telling the truth through the whole of the Scripture story means speaking the truth in love. When we follow this ninth word, it's not again, as we've seen with the commandments, it's not about just not doing something. When we follow this ninth word, it's not just about not lying. It is also about building each other up, encouraging each other. We live into the truth of this commandment when we consider others better than ourselves. When we see and celebrate the gifts of God in others and invite them to the table as equal brothers and sisters. We live into the truth of this commandment when instead of judging others, we listen to them and learn the truth about their lives. We live into this commandment, this ninth word. We are a true rather than a false witness towards our neighbor when we do everything we can to guard and advance our neighbor's good name. How do we do this? How do we do this when truth is so elusive? How do we do this when we are so prone towards lying and deception? This sounds great. I want to grab on and hold on to it. I want to start telling the truth, but I know the minute I walk out this door that I'm going to speak lies because I am a liar. I'm a liar because I live in a world of lies. I'm trapped in a web of lies. Because I have grown up with all the lies that I've been told. I am inundated by all the lies that I have told. I am affected by all the lies that have been spread. It's taken its toll on me, and I know it's taken its toll on you. The costliness of all the lying that surrounds me has led to a deficit of truth in my life, and I often feel like Pontius Pilate in that moment when he says, what is truth? There's so much that is false in this world, in my life, that I can feel bankrupt when it comes to the truth. But beloved, the good news, the good news, the grace in the midst of the law is that we can find truth, we can proclaim it, we can live it, but it begins by realizing that truth isn't a proposition. Our witness, our word, our distinctiveness is to say to the world, truth is not just about facts. Truth is not about propositions. Truth for you and I is a person. Because what we profess, why we gather in this place, why we will come to the table is that we say this is truth. That the God who commands us not to lie is the same God who in Jesus Christ tells us brings us and enables us to live the truth. He does this because Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the fulfillment of this ninth word. From the first deception of the devil at creation, the first lie that began them all, when the serpent in the garden said, did God say? Surely you will not die. To the false testimonies, to the very last moment that condemned Jesus to death, Christ willingly faced the lies of this world so that he could reveal the truth of God. Before all of our fears, all of our envy, all of our selfish, our selfish ambitions, all of which nailed him to the cross, Jesus bore the burden of our lies for the sake of the truth. 
What truth? The truth that this God loves us so much that he is willing to set us free from the false hope and empty promises of this world. The breathtaking truth that this God desires not to condemn us in the midst of the lies that we spin, but that this God seeks to balance the ledger of our lives. This God desires to forgive us. This, beloved, is our truth. We are forgiven sinners. We are loved liars. I am a great sinner, but Jesus Christ is an even greater Savior. This is grace-filled truth. This is life-changing truth. This is gospel truth. This is the truth of the one who not only spoke the truth, but who, in his life, through his death and by his resurrection, became the truth in love. Beloved, we are to live that truth. We are to live in that truth. We are to love each other in Christ. By pointing to the one who is the truth, we witness to what is real, to what is honest, to what truly matters in our lives and in our world. By surrendering our hearts and our tongues to Christ, we are able to let go of fear, envy, and false hope. We are able to live lives reflecting the heart of Jesus. Empowered, empowered by the one who loves us truly, we have no need to judge or grumble or speak against our brother or sister, or brag about ourselves, we are able to speak truthfully and lovingly about our God and about our neighbor. This is the fulfillment. This is what it means to live out the ninth word of the law, the ninth practice of grace, speaking the truth in love blessing and honoring our God, our neighbor and ourselves in our hearts and through our tongues. As our own Martin Luther said, this is most certainly true. Amen?